My name's Elijah and welcome to my podcast, Songwriting for Songwriters. My special guest today is John Owen Williams. John is a songwriter and a producer. He's also managed bands, worked in A&R, run record labels, produced albums for the House Martins and the Proclaimers. He also signed and A&R'd Alison Moye, Simple Minds, Robert Plant, Julia Clark, James Taylor Quartet, Charlotte Church, Kathy Dennis, Thea Gilmore, Michael Nyman, Steve Winwood, All and Oates, Fun Love and Criminals, Talk Talk, Status Quo, many, many acts. He also worked as a music journalist and uh, started his own recording career at Rap Records in the late 70s. So John speaks to me about his new act, The John Williams Syndicate, about working for record labels and A&R, what A&R people are looking for. He gives very strong advice to songwriters about developing your own voice and uh, artistry. So I think this is going to be a really interesting podcast for you to listen to. Please subscribe and check out John's work. Uh, links are at the end. And thank you for listening to the podcast. Joining me today on my podcast, Songwriting for Songwriters, is John Owen Williams. John, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks, Elijah. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. You look like you've got a very nice uh, building you're in there with some lovely guitars. And Is that your studio? It's my it's my studio, which is at the bottom of my London garden. Fabulous. It's a shed which is 10 foot by 12 foot with a vaulted ceiling. Nice. Um, I've re- recorded two Petula Clark albums in here. Wow. One Claudia Bruken album and two solo albums for myself. Fantastic. So it's got some, it's got a bit of history and a bit of uh, form, that place then. Yeah, it's got, it's got daylight in it, which I think yeah. is really, really great in, in the studio. Good point. And, and uh, I've recorded in all lots of great studios throughout my career. And the one thing which they all have in common is great microphones, great preamps, great compressors, and great e- EQs. Mm. So I've got a vocal chain with with all that good gear and it's Neumann mics and the rest I just I just play in or midi in right okay interesting though you just just to get a bit esoteric for a second the idea of daylight is actually quite an important thing because most studios have no they're bunkers aren't they the doors are shut there's a lot of dark uh you know sort of ethnic colors in there and it's all kind of lovely but actually you make a good point about how important light is actually to, to, for the uh for the kind of creative as well. So did you, did you did you find that daylight has changed the way that you work at all? Well, it, it, it you feel more awake and when it's daylight. So, yeah. for example, I, I produce I produced the last five Paul Heaton and Jackie Abbott albums. Wow. And the last two have been made at um, Blueprint in, in Salford, Manchester. Yeah. And and it's it's a fantastic studio, but the control room is in the dark. And as soon as you walk in, it's, it's turn the lights on and try and get the light level right. So um, it just affects your mood. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fantastic. So you've had an amazing career in music. You know, I've been doing a little bit of research and, you know, not only are you a great songwriter yourself, but you produced, you worked in A&R, you worked in management. Just start us off. How did you fall in love with music? What was the, uh, what was, what was that moment like for you? Oh, I think it was when I when I first heard the the opening riff to "You Really Got Me" by the Kinks that made me really just think that there was something different to other than I was playing Kingston Trio kind of folk songs, 
and I returned to school. I went to school at a place called Bromsgrove in yep. Worcestershire. And um, I was in the school band below the school band. The school band played in front of the school every Saturday night before the school film. And we would perform the, the hits of the week. So we would rehearse in the cellar under the, the school hall and learn Small Faces, Kinks, Who, Beach Boys, just whatever is in the charts. And we, we'd do our version of it and then play it when the, when the school band above us left eventually. Uh, John Ilsley was in the band, by the way, the bass player from Dire Straits. And they were great players. And so we just copied their set and we learned all the Chuck Berry songs, all the Too Much Monkey Business, Johnny Be Good, and all the classic R&B stuff. So I, I played guitar from an early age. Right. And when I went to university in France and Canada, I, t I, I took my 12 string with me and I used to play coffee houses in Canada for, for every Sunday night for four years. Wow. And uh, that's where I learned to to play live, I guess. And I've not played live ever since. Oh, really? Why Why? Why did you change your mind about playing live? Just your career took a different route or...? Well, I I I had record. I eventually got a recording deal with Mickey Most of Rack and made a single for him, which was Kid Jensen Record of the Week on Radio One, oh. and was all over the radio, but it wasn't a hit. And then we got dropped, and I just thought, well, that's that's that. And I spent the, my career after that assisting others and producing others and trying to r realize what they wanted on record. Mm. And suddenly realized that producing records was for me, an art form. Yeah. And so I got more interested in the actual creation of records. Yeah. And, um, but the um, <clears throat> playing live is, is a different, I, I, I'm not that insecure. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. Actually, it is, it's quite, it can be quite a manic head state to uh, <clears throat> be a performer. I had an incident last uh, weekend, actually, myself, I was playing a festival and 10 minutes before the anxiety spiral was fairly kind of intense, wondering why I'm even doing it. And then two minutes later on stage, everything's relaxed and cool. But it's it's quite an emotional roller coaster to ride those uh, waves. So that's quite an interesting point there. Um, so you found your security or not your security, you found uh, love of producing records. And I think you're right, it is an art form. So what was the kind of um, jump from... Who was the first person you produced? Well, the first person I produced was a guy called Bogdan Komonovsky, who wow. lived lived in the ground floor flat of, a, of the flat I was living in London in 1979. And he played Elvis in the stage show and Jesus Christ wow. in Jesus Christ Superstar and Hitler, the war rumors. And he, he was playing all three people at once. But in Elvis, he went down a storm. And so there were three Elvises, Shaking Stevens, Bogdan Komnowski, and some other guy. And uh, I picked the wrong one <laughs> because Shaking Stevens was was the one who had the hits. But um, we did a version of Roy Orbison's Blue Angel, which I've got on my jukebox. And um, so that was the first record I produced. And the, the second record I produced was was my East Side Band record on, on Rack Records. Wow, okay. and we, we we recorded an album's worth of material, which is coming out on Warner's in the first <laughs> of September. Fantastic! So, which I'm very pleased about. 
So even though you were doing like uh, you were producing others, were you still writing songs th throughout as well? I I kind of had stopped writing songs for 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 a long time in the eighties when I was producing the House Martins and the Proclaimers and and being head of Bayonar at Polydor and just took on another aspect of the business. Yeah. And I I returned to songwriting 15, 20 years ago when I had satisfied a lot of my artistic dreams of being head of A&R of major labels. I, I, I ran Chrysalis, Sanctuary and Polydor yeah. and was an A&R man for about 15, 20 years. And that's a, a an art form in itself. And it, it, it's a real kind of, I really enjoyed it. And, um, but in my last quartile of, 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 of the process in the business, I decided to build this shed and get writing again. So, that, so, so I just turn up every day and, and turning up is half the battle. Yeah, you're right about that. I have to say the album um, Into the Light is fantastic. This by the, your, um, well, it's your collaborative, isn't it? It's John Williams Syndicate. Um, and it's a great sounding record. Thank Not you. Production or sound, but like the songs are super, are really good, interesting songs and commercial. But like the sound, all of that stuff, with this, it's really it reminded me a bit of the Brian Jonestown massacre a little bit. And for some reason, some shoegaze, like at times my bloody Valentine, but also with like a Velvet Underground thing. Like it was really, really an interesting listen and um, great writing. So. It, it all, oh. People that are listening to this, go and check it out, Into the Light John Williams Syndicate, because it's a very, very good record. Thank you. Uh, um, the, the, it's the follow-up to the, the first one, which is called Out of Darkness, and that there is a, a linking theme. But all the songs are about just different aspects of love. Yeah. And and what I tried to do with the album was make a half-hour radio programme where you never quite understand what's going to come next. Every, every song has a different chassis to it. That's what I liked. And, and um, it took, took a lot of thinking about the running order. So mm. it's um, I'm, I'm now preparing volume three at the moment. Good for you. It's, it's really fresh and sounding great. So let me talk to you about A&R, because I think a lot of people that are trying to make it as songwriters or in bands, you know, the, <clears throat> it's a bit of a mysterious um, world, that A&R kind of world, um, to the songwriter or artist from the outside. Like, why do some people get signed is it luck is it determination is it that they're just better than other people is it the um you know many things is it money is it nepotism what do you think is the well what's the perspective of the a and man you know what do you see and hear in a writer or a band that plucks your interest what were you i know you've obviously it's different for different people but what is it that you're looking or you were looking for when you when you were a and r I, well, when I was, when I, was in, I, I guess the role of the A&R man has changed over the years. And yep. the A&R man originally was the A&R the man who, in a three-hour session, could take the act he was interested in into the studio and, with the help of an arranger and an engineer, produce a record. And so Tony Hatch, Mickey Most, George Martin, Chris Blackwell, yeah, all these, all these guys had the ability to, to take an act into a studio and make a record. So that was something I, I wanted to learn how to do. And I produced Radio 1 Live sessions for years, which taught me how to record quickly. And what what I was looking for in an artist was someone who knew exactly what he wanted to sound like. Okay. Know, or someone who knew 
where he wanted to be, who he wanted and who he was, and and also had a unique perspective on things and also had a unique voice. So sometimes you come across artists who are really good singers, really good players, but just don't have that, je ne sais quoi, um, that certain something which is um, unique. Mm. And and you can make you can make the best record in the world, but unless you can say, "Oh, that that's that singer," as soon as you hear this the song, you you you're in difficulty. So I signed the Proclaimers, and you know they are recognizable as soon as you hear them. Yeah, and uh, so and um, Alison Moyet, Jim Kerr, the Simple Minds, so many great artists and and great artists all they need is someone to steer them and, and just help and aid and abet and make them feel comfortable and and, and help them realize their dreams so yeah. it's 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 a it's a many faceted job but it mainly it's listening it's listening to what people say yeah. and you know one of the difficulties i had working in major corporations was that i was on the side of the artist which yeah. is which is difficulty for the, the, the corporation because they're there to make money and they're dealing with artists who have emotion. It's, it's a fast moving consumer goods business, but it deals with people's emotions and lives. Yeah. So it's, it's a tricky thing to get, to get the balance right. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's, it's interesting that and well done for being on the side of the artist for, for a start. Um, it's interesting what you were saying about re- recognizable voice. I think that's very true. Do you, I mean, that is, do you think that's something which is really important to have? Like if someone hears, you hear that person, you know who it is. Is that, is, is that like a, a very important thing? Yeah, I think it, for me, for me, it is. Yeah. Um, definitely. I, I made some records with, with some great singers who just didn't have that certain something. And you, you just end up with a, a bland record and, I'm just I'm not interested in going to the studio just for the sake of going in the studio. Mm. Has to be. So I work with an artist called Claudia Bruken. Great who, voice. Who's got an amazing voice. And she could sing a telephone directory and it would sound fascinating. Yeah. And um, you know, Alison Moyer, she's she's a great singer. Petula Clark, what so I just try and surround myself with great, great people and let the magic occur. And 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 then try and if I if I've written a song um, for them or with them, I'm very particular about how they sing it, because <laughs> it's very easy for them to go off piece. But the the way I want my song sung is mm. a, a very particular way, and and it's the phrasing is is all important. And yeah, my phrasing borrows a lot from Nick Drake's phrasing. Yeah, and um, which is not quite so obvious. Or on the beat as you may may anticipate. Good point. It isn't actually. It's it's quite a lot more uh, free, isn't it? In a certain way, he has his own own thing going on. Um. So, do you think like when you so you said earlier that the job of the your job as A and R and probably as a producer is to, is to assist um, talent. What's that like for you as a producer when you're when you hear a great song someone else has written? Do you have a sort of instinct for where it should go? what it should sound like and what's that kind of collaboration like are you given the free do, do you sort of take that on as your mission or is it very collaborative with the artist uh, well i'm when i'm producing paul heaton for example um 
he has a very clear vision about how he wants the end record to sound. Mm. And, and my job is really captain of the ship, trying to make sure that that happens. Yeah. And to, to make make that happen, you have to inhabit the song. You have to really live it. And so when I get immersed in someone else's record, I just dive in and everything else goes out the window because you're in, in their world 24-7. And you, you you have to be if you want to understand the nuances of, of a song and how, you know, is it the right key? Is it the right tempo? Is it the right right balance of instruments? There's so many different questions and he constantly asking and and, and keeping the, the ship afloat, you know, keeping it keep it buoyant, keeping it exciting place to be and a fun place to be. And that's the key to it, is is having a laugh. This you know, this is this world is you you've got to have your, your glass half full. Otherwise you're 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 you're, you're batting on a sticky wicket. Do you ever have occasions where that can go a record can be going the wrong way or, or sort of coming off the track? So do you have tips for like bringing it back on online well i i would say if if you if you're having problems with a track start again because right. generally generally good good records have cohesive arrangements and almost mix themselves you know the hit records i've made you can mix them in two or three hours right and it's the ones that that's assuming you've been mixing along the way and yeah. you're working on a daw system yeah um but good 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 hit songs just have things that happen in in an order mickey most said to me once when i was a fledgling artist for him that the, the human ear only hears one thing at a time so you hear the snare drum you hear the the, the string riff or the then the bass riff then the vocal then 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 something else then the tambourine but you don't hear the tambourine and the bass guitar and the and the string riff individually all at once. You, they they all happen in their own space. So yeah. creating space in a record or in a song is is all important. The um, writing so writing a song is um, a tricky thing. Tell me about writing a song for you. What's the process for you? How does it start? Well, well, first of all, I, I identify what I call is the nut. Okay. And the nut is that, so for example, if you were telling a story about hunter-gatherers around a, around a campfire, um, any fool could say the woolly mammoth attacked us and we were all dead. But mm. the first one to say, it was a dark and stormy evening, and the weather was. It was uh, the, the the beast towered above us. Suddenly, you've got people's interest. So it's it's a matter. Of, so that's one thing is is creating an atmosphere. Yeah. And sometimes the, the opening line can do can do that. Yeah. So you've got you've got to invite people in into the nut, and the nut and the nut is 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 what the song is really about. Okay. And it's, it's so many songs are not considered or written 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 properly. Okay. Well, non, non, yeah. non, non-hit songs are because they're just made up platitudes. Yeah. 
and um, the nut is the resolution of, of of the struggle. That's a really interesting point to talk about songwriting, actually, because even if you're not singing platitudes, there is the nut in the song, and so even if it's just the key line in the chorus, it's like the there is a heart of the song, isn't it? There's a point where you, the song has to say something, which is. Um, the point and reason for the song you know the point you're trying to make which yes and you make a good point there that that actually has to be quite that it's it's obvious really but it's it needs to be uh focused on so you can lead up to it in a poetic way or an abstract way or you can be very use realism or tell it like a story or narrative but you've got to get that a song has to have a uh a nut a meaning so, so that's that's pretty important the um Jimmy Webb is an artist I, I signed to Sanctuary. Wow. Twilight of the Renegades album a while back. And he, he became a pretty good friend. All a lot of these lot of lot of the great artists are very very friendly. Yeah. And good people. And Jimmy Webb's one of the greats. And he's he's got a great book on songwriting. But I often revert to, to a lot of his tips for writing a song, which is have a a legal a, one of those yellow notepads those legal notepads and the pencil with yeah. a, with a with a rubber on it and so you have that and a thesaurus and dr- rhyming dictionary and then I'll turn up and and there there are three ways I mean I, I mean he he talks about nine different songs that, okay. that exist but I I I mean you can see I, I take the first three, which are number one, people, places, or events in our memory that make us happy, sad, or angry. So that you're talking about the past. So last night when we were young. Yeah. So you putting yourself into into the past. I often, when I'm writing a song, put myself into a situation. What uh, a situation perhaps I know something about, um, and and then ask these three questions and the, the second one is people place or events that are affecting us in the present time by the same criteria so a great song for that is you've lost that loving feeling yeah that's 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 the present that that's what's happened that that love is gone yeah and thirdly people places or events that are likely to appear in the future by the same criteria any day now bert backrack yeah yeah. So and then suddenly you've got three scenarios yeah. where you can jump in, and um, the, 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 my into the light album is full of, it's full, of, it's 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 just that it's 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 the observation of love in its different forms. How wonderful, amazing! That's a really good piece of advice to share, actually. But do you believe in the muse? Like, this I often find when I talk to songwriters in these uh, podcasts. There's a lot of um, great advice, technical exercises, things to think about. And then there's also like a kind of an other thing that happens and it's sort of spontaneous and it just happens. What's your relationship with that kind of aspect of creativity? Do you believe in that? Is that a thing that works with you? Yeah, I I, I often just sit sit and jump, in, jump into the magic. Yeah. You don't know what's in there, but I'm, I'm a sort of, guitarist of uh, of a certain ability i never really 
up my my game much. I've actually it's, it's upped a bit more recently. I'm playing a lot more, but you just strum and you sing, and suddenly you 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 hit you you come across a chord progression which is oh that's nice to play, and then that's nice to sing over it. Oh, that's that's and that links to that song I was writing last week, and ah, oh, and, and it's the same song where you come at it at a different angle. Yeah, and it's just half it is turning up. Yeah, but talking about music is like dancing about architecture. Yes. You know, it's 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 um it's something you just have to jump in, and actually the people who who sometimes are, are more fluent. Are the are the ones who aren't such great players mm. because they they're not obsessed with the sevenths and the ninths and the thirteenths and all that stuff. Yeah, and you know all the great songs are, are three card tricks, three chord tricks. <laughs> what advice do you think? Because um, you obviously you've you've been a producer and an R man, manager at songwriter. So someone now trying to break it into the music industry because there's lots of songwriters that listen to this that are obviously hoping to. Um, have a hit or find or further their career in some way or form. What advice would you give from from all the experience you've had in the industry to uh, to a writer today? Because I know the industry's changed, but what do they need to know and uh, be, be become aware of? Well, I think you've got to learn how to work Logic or Pro Tools or Ableton, or I think that you've got to have the tool tools of your trade under your at your disposal. Yeah, because the great the great producers and and songwriters have know how to how to work it yeah so so i would if you're serious about it get serious about the the craft and the 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 surrounding parts of it and take some guitar lessons um it's contrary to what i was saying a few weeks ago a few a few, a few minutes ago but get get good on your instrument take singing lessons just Make sure that if you want to compete in this arena, that your presentation of material is is spot on because we only have so much time to listen to stuff. And if you if you can grab someone's attention from the get go, then you half the battle half the battle is over. Yeah, good advice. Is it tough to get heard by people? Is it, is it, I mean, I know you're talking from a few years ago, but. You hear these stories in books about tapes in black bin liners that are never going to get listened to, and obviously it's changed because it's emails and links. But did you find that people would would listen? And are people? Um, I think it's the 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 problem today is that the over population of material is is what stops the people. So so for example. I'm trying to get syncs on the the ex propaganda album I wrote with Claudia Rukin and Stephen Lipson last year, and it was a top ten album. But to, if you try and get people to, to listen to you know to it yeah. for syncs, almost impossible because the, the, there's so much material out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you consider, is it thirty thousand songs are uploaded to Spotify every day? Yeah. Then you you you, you it's 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 tough. So you have to rely on good luck and fortune and knowing people. And so you just have to keep at it. Yeah. Never give up. Never give up. That is uh, some good advice there. So tell me the story then behind the John Williams Collective. What's um, You obviously said that you started to write 15 years ago, but 
as I said, it's a, it's what I really love about the album is this this feels very together, but you get these different voices and different there's some different writers there. So this as well as you being the main writer, but this what's what was the thinking behind that? Tell us how that came together. Well, it came together. The first record came together during lock, lockdown three years ago. I just returned to London after being in Manchester for six months producing Paul Heaton and Jackie Abbott. And I started writing and recording myself in the studio, just seeing what it would what it'd be like to present songs to other people. And then a few people heard and said, well, you should do them yourself. So I needed no, no encouragement because I was quite keen to, to do that, but needed the, the, the backup of saying, yeah, go do it. Yeah. And I then thought, well, no one is going to know who the hell I am. So if I can get Petula Clark singing one of my songs and Claudia Broken and just get a few not- noted names, that one might open up the, the, the project because you've got to launch it in, in somehow. And there's got to be a story around it. And so the second album I did because I got great critical response on the first one and sold a few a few CDs and 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 I'm now right in the zone and you know doing it on a daily basis. Right. And the John John Williams Syndicate is called that because I can't call myself John Williams because of the 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 other more famous ones and. John Owen Williams just sounded a bit like, I don't know, a bit odd. And um, so some of my publisher suggested the John Williams Syndicate. And I thought, yeah, that's, 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 that, that, that will do. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so you've had a long relationship working with Paul Heaton and Jackie Abbott. Um, I think, did you say you produced the last five albums? I think, what, what um, what's it like to have, because I think it's really interesting when you get a producer who works with an artist over time, because it's, a key relationship, I think, in the music industry, one of those ongoing relationships. So tell me about what you love about them as writers and performers and what your uh, role in that relationship production-wise is like. Well, I, I first came across Paul Heaton when I produced both the House Martins albums right. in in the 80s. And I, I came and I thought, what, what a great writer he was then. Yeah. And of course, he's become one of Britain's major forces over the last 40 years. Yeah. So um it's it's just a joy to be involved with a, a hit act. And, yeah. and my my role, I don't I never I don't change a word. I don't change a note. I, I um I try and find out what's in his head and how he wants it to sound. Mm. Then we rehearse for, for two months. Wow. The band rehearsed for two months, ten to five, five days a week. Wow assembling 28 songs yeah which we then pick in different keys different tempos and then try and work out who's going to sing the lead voice okay it's Paul Yucky. and that that will that, the, the key will depend on on who's the lead voice and so we get to a stage where the band know each song backwards then we then we press go and we we, we start recording and the, the recording takes three months after that, so it's a five-month project. It's a big, it's a big, mm. massive, massive amount of work. That's a really organic way. I mean, that's almost like what it was like when you started a band at school or something, because you just rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and get your show tight. And that's 
you know, I think these days there's a lot of recording, which is, you know, like you said, we've all got logic and everything else and you can build it up from the bottom, but like, that's quite an organic way of working, isn't it? And yes, it's, and it's a great way of working. Of course, it's, it, it doesn't fit everybody because it's an expensive way of working as well. And, sure. And uh, only few artists can afford to do that. Mm. Luckily, he can he can afford to do it because he he's still touring massive stadiums and yeah yeah. So it used to be that you'd you'd tour to support the record. Now you 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 make the record to support the tour. If uh, if you could work with any if you could produce any songwriter's album you haven't already worked with who would you who would you would love to work with? Oh, dead or alive. Yeah, let's go dead or alive. Well, uh, Jeff Lynne, Tom Petty, JJ Cale. I, I, I like that. Is my na- natural bent of music. Jeff Lynne is my hero. Is he? Yeah, I, I just think the records he makes are, are pure genius. They are, they are because he's also from my point. He's obviously a big Beatles fan. To be fair, but his like arrangement and his um the way the, the whole arrangement jigsaws together. <clears throat> he is a, an absolute master. So if if you listen to my records and then think about Jeff Lynne, then you can see who, I, who I'm not copying, but I, yeah. you know, I, I take many tips out of his book. Well, good. I mean, he's someone to, someone to study. Um, you said some really important things, I think, about um, what you like in an act. <clears throat> um, someone who's got a clear... You, you, know, you spoke earlier about having a recognisable voice, but I thought... Something that was very important you said was someone who's got a clear idea of what they um, want to say and what they want to sound like and who they are as an artist. Um, that's a key takeaway, I think, from this from your, what you've been telling us here. But what other advice would you give to songwriters um, about with, with regards to writing songs? Oh, I think you you should always try and say things lyrically that you would say in a colloquial manner. So use everyday expressions yeah and is always take notes always always be aware of conversations that are going around you and 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 ask yourself when you when you've written a, a lyric would i actually say that okay. you know in in everyday conversation and half the time you find yourself no i, I wouldn't say that because you've you've flowered it up into something which is it, it looks reads well but actually I constantly, when I'm writing with Claudia Brooken, who's who I write with for two days every week. We do it every every week, week in week out. Right. She turns up at eleven o'clock and leaves at six, and we just immerse ourselves into John and Claudia's world, and right. we just constantly ask questions: Does that sing right? Does it does it does it flow? Does it does the rhyme? What's the rhyming scheme here? Should we change the rhyming scheme from the verse to the chorus? Every word, every word is is is, is really scrutinised, and and don't ever take just because you think you finished it that is finished. Mm. So I'm constantly when I when I make a, a demo recording for for Claudia or any anybody I'm writing with, I'm, I might make four or five different versions of it in right. different keys, different tempos, just just trying to. Work out what what is the best chassis for for it. Just the best way to build your your engine. You, you know, you've got your chassis. Then you put in the engine, 
and the seats and the, the steering wheel and the and just the aircon and all that kind of stuff, the satellite net, sat nav. But before you got all you put that in, you've got to have the the right framework for it. Yeah. So that 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 I spend more time on the framework than anything else. Yeah, sure, sure. And everything else, everything else is detail. Yeah. And it, you know, it's 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 easy. The rest, but it's it's getting it's getting the the basis right. Yeah, good point. Um, so if you could be um, not if you could be sorry, if you could have written any song, I ask this of all my um guests. If there was a song which you wish you could have uh, written, that you'd had that experience of being able to change the chassis for and you know have the experience of it coming through you what song not of your own would you wish you could have written oh i think probably quite a few jimmy webb songs yeah um the, the highwayman jimmy webb is 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 a song where which, which george martin produced is is one of the great records of all time in my book right and one of the the great lyrics and um, i love that record so i some, sometimes and, and and what else a ray davis song perhaps um waterloo sunset mm, i heard that last night actually and just reminded how beautiful that song is so you know songs are, as you say they're beautiful things and i i like a song that makes me feel emotional i was listening to the Cloudy Brooken album I produced with her in 2013. I listened to this song called I Want You, which is you should check out on Spotify. Yeah. It, it, it almost brought me to tears. It's such an emotional experience listening to it. So I, I like the, I like songs that can make you feel something. Yeah. Yeah. Make you feel alive. Fantastic. John, so where can people find you online in your songs and uh, where you are? Well, so on Spotify, you can find me on the John Williams Syndicate. And um, you can find there's, there's a playlist playlist and there's lots of info, info about the, the, the songs I've uploaded over the last couple of years. Um, you can hear ex-propaganda. Um, you can hear Petula Clark lost a new album and from now on and the the john williams syndicate and the east side and east side band will be available on spotify september the 1st Fantastic. so it's in in my in my old age i'm i'm getting all my acts together finally well done thank you very much john thank you for being my guest today i really appreciate your time and your insight and uh Everybody listening, go and check out John's work. It's really, really great. And uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Mm -hmm.